What's up everyone? Welcome to the Decan Show and this is a series called Legal-ish. It's a series where we talk about all the legal questions that we have or you may have and we do so every week with everyone's favorite lawyer, Ahmed Oda. Welcome to your tribe. Yeah, what's up everybody and welcome to another episode of Legal-ish with our favorite lawyer, Ahmed Oda. What's good, Ahmed? Hey guys, everything's all right. Glad to be back. Good to have you back, man. It's been a while. Hi, Reem. What's up in the world, OTOT? Let's kick off with our continuation of the Arab tech story. So where we left off last week, we had a few updates that Arab tech was waiting for an official announcement post the board of directors meeting. And they made a public announcement that they have decided to liquidate due to untenable financial situation. And they expect to have their liquidation application by end of November. So that was as of last week. Where we are today is that the board of directors at Arabtech has met uh, to discuss the next steps in the company liquidation process. Following two aborted plans to meet, to meet previously, the board of directors finally met on Sunday, according to, filing, um, according to a filing to the Dubai financial market. A short statement confirmed that the board followed up a progression of the liquidation plan as, and has discussed strategies of way forward. Arabtech is currently seeking to meet the end of November deadlines that has been set by the shareholders to submit the liquidation application. So good news there, I guess. Uh, as for the creditors, though, um, they have been warned that they must not waste any time in pursuit of the outstanding debts owed to them as the company edges closer towards liquidation. Which is interesting. We'll get to that in a second. Um, under the relatively new UAE bankruptcy law, there are three insolvency procedures that are available to them. First is the preventative composition, and then rescue within bankruptcy, and third is a liquidation within bankruptcy. Ahmed, can you walk us through these three procedures that are available to them, and what does that mean? Oh, these are these are these are procedures that are quite legal ish literally in nature and then the, as for the law oh first time we actually use that but um <laughs> yeah i know it's it's quite it's, it's a, there's a lot of legal jargon uh, surrounding these three terms but uh really what they mean is that if you can if you can separate them is it's actually preventative composition and liquidation on a bankruptcy those are the two that matter the most uh preventative composition is basically anything that the company does to prevent itself from going bankruptcy, uh, to, to actually declaring itself uh, bankrupt. And that means, you know, the company declares itself as being under stress and is strained and it, it, it requires, um, you know, a bit of time in order to sort through its uh, uh, debts and it hopefully requests from the, from the creditors to some more time to repay the Jews in accordance with uh, a quarter-proof settlement plan. Okay. That is a the best the best tactic a company would deploy if they want to prevent them uh, prevent from actually going into uh, bankruptcy. Unfortunately, in, in the UAE, most of the companies, they utilize the bankruptcy law in order to actually go for liquidation full on. Okay. And which is why uh, Arab tech, you know, if you, obviously as with the news, they, they went ahead with the, uh, with the bankruptcy decision, because that is something which, with it, which they were opting for. They could opt for a preventative composition, but that would mean more complications. And it would it would also mean that they will have to 
inform their creditors, yes, we will pay you within a certain period of time. And all creditors have to approve, um, you know, any plans or settlement, uh, you know, uh, settlement um, discussions, which is not exactly something that the shareholders wanted to do. As for the first bit, uh, what was that bit again? The first one about the financial reorganization? So, oh yeah, so there there were three, the preventative composition, rescue within bankruptcy, and liquidation within bankruptcy. Yeah, so rescue within bankruptcy is is also, this is pretty much the same as preventative composition. There's a um, an article in the law that explains how how the, the the courts will actually establish a committee, um, a panel committee to to assist companies that are, uh, you know, they're vying to, uh, you know, not not to hide but to uh, to to use the bankruptcy law in their favor in order to to continue staying afloat. That's pretty much what it means. So it's very close to preventative composition. You could say, I mean, there's so many so many legal words in different countries it's called it's called administrative restructuring and you know uh, you can hire a, uh, a financial accountant to to sort through the the accounts and find a way to to settle the you know the amounts due from the creditors so that's that's pretty much what it means but what we're talking about today is full on bankruptcy out of tech <laughs> so uh, so that's liquidation within bankruptcy yeah and that article, what it says is absolutely, you know, I absolutely agree with them. Yes, any creditor that has outstanding dues with Arab Tech, go and file a case immediately. Don't wait for, you know, uh, the sun to shine one day because it's not going to shine for a very long time. And they could opt to just, uh, you know, for a wait and see approach and see what, you know, what will happen. But uh, yeah, every creditor's situation is different. And they might not be dealing with Arab Tech directly. It can be one of the subsidiaries to joint venture companies. Who knows? Right. Don't wait. Don't wait. That's that's the learning there. Don't wait. Reem, what do you got? What What's the news on your end? The news on my end, it's really interesting because it's actually taken up a lot of the headlines for the past few uh, weeks. But uh, companies in Israel now are looking to open business in the UAE as part of, you know, um, as part of political ties that are being formed uh, of tolerance. And uh, so a question to you, Ahmed, if a company from Israel is looking to open an office in Dubai to do business, can they do so now? And will their investments be protected? That's a very good question. That article that uh, that I checked on with regards to the, the bilateral treaty being signed with the, between Israel and UAE, yes, it is true that that agreement has been signed, but has it been has it gone into effect and cascaded through all the uh, authorities and and competent uh, jurisdictions? You know, does DMCC know uh, or does it have strict instructions from you know internal internal affairs and ministry of interior that yes you could you could now set up companies in the names of israeli uh, citizens and you can set up bank accounts in their name as well this is something i haven't yet researched and i haven't uh, i'm yet to discuss it with my own ba- banking clients and and the, the banks that i deal with uh, but um i i don't know about you guys but i haven't seen it happen uh, in practice yet me neither, honestly, but I think it'll be it'll be one of those stories we'll follow over time for sure as things progress with it. It'll happen for sure. A follow up question to you on that, and and I'm not really sure if if you know the answer to it, but generally, any idea how long it takes for laws like that to come into play? It could take upwards of about a year or two years for for the for 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 the law not only just to get into effect, but for all the departments and to to actually have their own procedures and, and relevant uh, 
protocols in place. So, for example, if um, if you if you set up a, a, if you set up a corporate bank account anywhere in Dubai um, as part of their uh, you know security policies and stuff that you have to you sign on is that you have you will you will not deal or transact with companies uh, with countries such as Syria, Iran, Israel, and uh, Libya, and so on. So just the fact that Israel is mentioned on every single document that they've made their companies sign that has to be removed now. And for for banks to adopt a, a such a policy, you know, they have to change a lot of you know fundamental aspects of their uh, um, of the business. So there's a lot of work to do. It'll take time. Um, okay, so we can we have a question actually that's come in that I found very interesting because I know a lot of women have experienced something like this but have not been able to ask it. So I'm really happy that we have it. Um, someone has someone wrote in. Uh, so the question is. My boss has been making rude advances towards me, and I recorded the conversation last week where he said some inappropriate things. My friend told me that I'm not allowed to record people without their permission, so what can I do? It's a very layered question, but I guess the first is inappropriate advances from um, her boss, and then her recording it to have proof that this was happening, and what avenue can she pursue if the recording it is not allowed? Contrary to popular belief, you can record a conversation without the other uh, the other party's consent if that conversation is a potential uh, violation of your livelihood and your civil rights. Okay, and if you feel like there is a yes, if there is a possibility that that person uh, would be breaching some kind of uh, uh, law, um, you know, as part of the sort of penal code, you could uh, use you know record that evidence and present it to the police. Okay, but it can't be, you know, a recording of, an, of, of evidence that is, you know, confidential in nature that you have no involvement in. But if your livelihood and, you know, your, your, your personal uh, well-being is at stake, yeah, definitely make that recording. And the police will admit it for sure. Okay, so your advice to her is to submit it to the police and not to be afraid that it's something that will backfire in her because that's something that women are always afraid of, that this is going to backfire in their face and she'll have to kind of show up at work knowing that this is, un you know, this th that she's, you know. If the evidence is not, yeah. And if it's just, uh, yeah, yeah that, that would not, you know, bode well on her. So can you let us know what, what constitutes compelling evidence? Does it have to be explicit, like extremely explicit, or can it be innuendo or suggested? Yes, if it is, um, if the, if whatever language, let's assume if, if it's in English, if that whatever language that was used, inappropriate uh, language, if that language could be translated into Arabic and be, and be construed as explicit, equally explicit, then there you go. But um, if... <sighs> You know, if the, the 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 type of language being used in English could be misconstrued, misinterpreted, or vague, be vague, especially when translated into Arabic, it might not fly. So it has to be it has to be very clear. And we've seen instances where uh, where language English, the you know, words in English language were used and were not you know were not meant to be abusive, and they were they when translated into Arabic, they turned out to be quite abusive in nature, and uh, and and then. You know, in the in the opposite sense, also, you know, sometimes um, sometimes it wasn't uh, really rude or inappropriate. So it could be who knows what was said. So as a step, so as a step before filing, get it legally translated first. 
Yes. Yes. Do that first. It will change a lot. Noted. All right. So there we go. Okay. So question two of three. This was an interesting one. Um, I believe we found this um, on one of the online papers and I thought it was worth mentioning. Um, I found some photographs of my wife in a compromising position with another man. It was a relationship she had in her country before she got married to me. Can I file for a divorce based on these photo based on these photographs? And can I file a criminal case against her in the UAE? Though the incident took place in another country. Whoa, <laughs> that is that is layered. That's, that is way way more layered than the one before. Layered. Let me just take a sip of water. This is serious. Go ahead. We we layer our questions here like pancakes, ladies and gentlemen. We don't just come. I think with people a basic, do now that they question. know they can write in. I think they. Yeah, I think they do that now that they know they can write in. Okay. Um, all right. Let me, let, me, let me check it. Would you like for me to repeat that? Yeah, sure. I found some photographs of my wife in a compromising position with another man. It was a relationship that she had had in her home country before she got married to me. Can I file for a divorce based on these photographs? And can I file a criminal case against her in the UAE, though the incident took place in another country? <sighs> okay. <laughs> How did this person find... The pictures. That's that's my first question. How uh, how did he gain access to such pictures? You know, were they? You know, was there a misfire? Were the pictures were supposed to be forwarded to you know sent to some you know somebody and then sent to him instead? I mean, how did he get access to them? That's the, that's the number one question because if they were gained illegally, then that means there must have been some kind of some form of breach of privacy privacy laws in the UAE. I don't know what kind of privacy laws would happen in, in other countries, but. Uh, but that's definitely a breach of privacy laws here. So if you if you gained access to such pictures illegally and you try to use it uh, in your favor, it might not that 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 will definitely backfire. That's number one. Second of all, she's his wife, and uh, that's not the kind of evidence that uh, that the police here generally like to uh, to like to see. You know, when filing a criminal case, the police in general they don't like to get involved in extramarital affairs. Uh, you know, complaints with regards to that, as well as. Uh, even domestic violence, they try to stay away from it and, and they urge people to, to not go ahead and file police complaints, right? And they, they, you know, they get people to, you know, to reconcile outside the, uh, the, the confines of the police station because it can get really messy. You have the divorce, uh, the courts and the, and the conciliation um, committees for a reason so that, so that you know, couples could, could just you know, go there and divorce in a civil manner. So go directly to the, to the divorce courts. I would say go to the divorce court. I mean, this before going to divorce court, there's a special there's a special committee that um, that oversees um, you know the matters related to divorce prior to uh, going to court, and you can just apply for a divorce there. And he doesn't have to explicitly mention that I found pictures of my wife and so on. Just as I, you know, I don't believe my wife has been has been faithful faithful to me, and I don't feel like she has been in any way, shape, or form. You know, and uh, and I just want a divorce. And if the um, if the wife agrees to the divorce, which I'm assuming she would, if if something like this is is legit, then he should be able to be granted a divorce fairly quickly, without necessarily you know airing out any laundry. Hmm. All right. So this is a, a complicated one. It sounds personal. That's the problem because he wants to make it personal. You know, if if, if a divorce is all he, everything is is what he wants, then let him just go and, and apply for it. I agree. Are they just just 
you can get a divorce. We don't have to go criminal with this. Yeah, slight irreconcilable differences, you know, just like Brad Pitt and Angelina. I mean, <laughs> it can be anything. And just move it on. Keep it moving. Keep it moving. Reem, you got one more question? Yeah, I do. The third question that we've, uh, we actually, OT and I saw this in one of the papers. Um, the question is, I have been on unpaid leave for the past six months. It was initially for three months, but it was extended for another three until September 30th, 2020. And the employer's decision was sudden. However, keeping in mind COVID-19, I had to accept it because everyone, it seems, was going through difficult times. However, this person is seven months pregnant and is due to deliver on November 12th. Although the, her employer is yet to confirm the, the, the status of her job, she has been informed by her colleagues that her employment might be terminated. Um, her colleagues who are on a reduced salary since March have restarted receiving their full salary now, but she hasn't received anything. So what can she do? What are her avenues for um, her avenues for that she can legal avenues that she can pursue? I like this question. It's um... It involves a lot of a lot of uh, issues that are pervasive amongst um, the you know a lot of the employees that are suffering with uh, with companies and not doing so well. I can say, okay, first of all, the pregnancy matter really doesn't have anything to do with the <laughs> with the uh, with the question. I don't think so. Uh, you know, the fact that she's pregnant just I think just exacerbates the situation. But uh, you know, she hasn't been paid for three months. That is the biggest sign of uh, of an impending termination because if you know if you haven't have received a salary for three months generally the company will not likely be able to pay off the next three months or you know or, you know at least in a in a normal fashion so typically what would happen if you haven't received that salary then you would expect the company to terminate you and then subsequently you know pay off pay pay your end of service in gratuity so the fact that she's accepted to work for an additional three months, I don't know why. That's it. That's her own personal decision. Now, she's she's working in this company. She hasn't received the salary in, what, upwards of three months. How long has it been now? Six months now or not yet? Yeah, I think it, she, she mentioned it was that she was initially for three months, but then it was, it was this, so it's six months in total now. Wow, okay. Uh, six months. So at any point, even after the first month of not receiving her salary, she could potentially file a, a dispute case with the with the Ministry of Human Resources and uh, Amortization and just saying, hey, listen, I haven't received my salary. I've, I've, I would like to submit this complaint to, um, to, to the ministry. Usually a lot of people don't do that because they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to upset their employers. I understand it. But if it goes on for two, three months, four months, I mean, something's got to give. Either you resign or the employer terminates you or... You know, you, you file a dispute case in between. I understand why you don't want to resign because if you do resign, you'll get potentially less an end of service than if, if the employer terminates you. So you're playing this sort of, you know, uh, Mexican standoff between you and the employer during this time. And uh, neither one wants to, uh, wants to fire the, the, the bullet. But in the end, the employer will always win if you don't take action. And she could take action. I'm not saying that she should resign, but she could take action and file a dispute case with the ministry without without her resigning and let him terminate her so that she can apply for a severance pay of up to three months or her salary and, and potentially get more than uh, than what is she what she's owed. Um, that would be that would be, I suppose, the best course of action. You know. So basically, file a complaint with Moray, do not resign. And if the employer terminates you, great. 
apply, you know, just get all the end of service benefits, but plus the uh, severance pay and you'll be on your way. You don't have to wait for them. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to wait for them to, to terminate you then. There we go. So to our dear listeners, I hope we have answered your questions. Uh, Stay tuned for our, our Arab tech stories and other information from the news coming to you guys next week. Thank you for tuning to this week's episode of Legal-ish with Ahmed Odom, who's busy sipping water right now. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be back next week to answer more of your questions. Please do keep them coming in. You guys can reach us at hello at thecanmedia.com or you could just slide in our DMs. And as usual, we'll always keep it anonymous. Salam. Bye. Thank you for kicking it with us today. I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode as much as we enjoyed creating it for you. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast at to stay up to date with all our conversations. Also, if you don't mind, Hit us with the five-star rating, leave a comment, let us know how you feel about the show. That way, it could also help others find the show. And be sure to share with your friends and family, whoever you think can benefit from it. You can holler at us on all social media platforms at The Can Show. We'd love to hear from you. Or you could drop us an email to hello at thecanmedia.com. Salam.